Hello again and welcome to another episode of Voices from SA. My name is Nicholas Claude. I hope you're keeping well and keeping warm as winter approaches, well, particularly those of you in South Africa, at least, or the Southern Hemisphere, I suppose. Uh, my guest this week is Cas Kuvadia. He's the Managing Director of the Banking Association of South Africa. Cas has a long history in community and political activism dating back to his student days in the early 1970s and later with the United Democratic Front in the back in the uh, 1980s. Um, and he was actually detained a number of times during that uh, extreme period of our country's history. Um, we chatted about his role uh, at Barca, well, at least the role of Barca as well. Um, looked at some of the issues um, around the role that banks can play in stimulating growth and alleviating poverty. Um, so, yeah, please now enjoy my chat with Cass. Cass, thanks for your time okay. uh, this morning. Um, let's just get that microphone a little bit closer. Are you sitting comfortably? Yeah, I'm fine. Is that okay? Can I hear? Yeah, I'll just put it a little bit closer. Okay. Okay. Uh, Cass, thanks again um, for, for seeing me. Um, you were in uh, Washington last week. Yeah. Um, <coughs> Can I just ask you a little bit about the purpose of that sure, uh, sure. visit? Sure. Uh, uh, we we the only uh, African Association of Banks that's a member of something called the International Banking Federation, which has a representation from the CEOs of banking associations from uh, uh, the greater part of the world, so from the U.S., from Europe, from India, Japan, China, South Korea, Brazil. Uh, and and uh, I currently chair that. Oh, wow. So, so we had a, a board meeting in, in Washington. We moved the board meetings around, and this time it was hosted by the American Bankers Association. So okay. I went down for the board meeting where we uh, discussed just banking issues uh, is that more of sort of on a regulatory kind of level that you're discussing, or do you discuss um, sort of micro-macroeconomic? Well, we look um, at macroeconomic issues, but we also look at regulatory issues because we, through the International Banking Federation, we actually advocate into structures like the Basel Committee in Switzerland, uh, like the Financial Stability Board and the G20 and so on. And mm. we regularly uh, interacting with those structures on regulatory issues, uh, uh, but more sort of global regulatory issues. Um, would something like the sort of current trade spat between China and the United States come into a discussion not, like not that? Not directly. I mean, okay. we'd do, that would be part of our discussion at the board meeting, uh, but but we wouldn't be interacting from a regulatory and policy point of view. Mm. But, uh, we'd be interacting more to sort more. of just take that on board yeah. as part of the yeah. context in which you are yeah. you are working, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, maybe we could just take a step back. Um, and well, one thing before maybe, 
when you go as a representative of the, well, as the CEO of the Banking Association of South Africa, do you sort of represent or take into that meeting the sort of African context? Do you have any mandate to speak for the subcontinent or SADC or anything like that, even if you are just the only association representing well, I, Africa? Well, I, I don't have a mandate to speak for any structures on the continent, but I do reflect views and thoughts of the SADC region. Right. Because we have a SADC banking association. Okay. Uh, excuse me. I sit on the board, and, and, and the banking association, South Africa, is the secretariat for the SADC banking association. Oh, I see. Okay. So, so uh, we had a SADC BA board meeting about three weeks ago. Or so, mm-hmm. and, and okay, so I you put this issue on the board. Yes, okay, and, got you. Yeah, yeah. And reflected some matters that came up from there. Right. Um, but let's talk a little bit about just the Banking Association. I mean, it's about lobbying for the your member banks. It's about making input into policy. And then you say also issues around change and transformation of the banking industry. And I think there seems to be a difference in understanding between the word change and transformation. We can perhaps talk about that. But maybe if you could just tell me a little bit about the Banking Association of South Africa, what your sort of critical roles are yeah, within so the sort of financial So, So the Banking Association is this mandated representative of the banking industry, okay? Uh, uh, to belong to the banking association, you need to be a bank that's licensed by the South African Reserve Bank to operate in South Africa. So all, and it's a voluntary association, so banks don't need to belong to us. Right? As right. it happened, every licensed bank is a member. Hmm. Uh, so all South African banks are members. Uh, then international banks that have subsidiaries or branches in South Africa are members. Right. So in all, we have about 37-odd members. Uh, we uh, we advocate for, uh, an, uh, 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 for an appropriate policy and regulatory environment in which banks can do profitable and responsible business. Mm. So we interact quite a lot with government at different levels. Uh, we... Uh, uh, look at any issues that impact on the industry as such as different from impacting on individual banks or even a collection of banks. So, so you know, when the government wants to talk, ab- talk to us about what the industry thinks about the macroeconomic environment or other issues, we would be the interaction and we would be the interface. We do a lot of work on transformation uh, in the industry and... and the role of the industry in transformation. Mm. Uh, we, as I said, we manage the SADAC Banking Association, or we the secretariat for that. Uh, we are globally active through the International Banking Federation and other organizations. Uh, so we, I mean, so the South African banking sector is relatively a s- small sector globally. But we, I think we punch above our weight in, in our in in the local global economy. influence and in the local local influence. Hmm. So, so 
that's the sort of role we play. We also in do particularly in the current context where government needs help to actually fulfill some of its responsibilities. We also do a lot of work that is in the national interest, if you like. So in the last year or so, we've done a lot of work on enabling the smooth uh, delivery of uh, social grants. And so right. a lot of those go through the banking accounts now. Mm -hmm. uh, we're beginning to to work with uh, NESFAS to, to student to, uh, on student loans student and, loans. and the efficient uh, processing of those. Yes, uh, uh, we've just had a, a request from the National Prosecuting Authority to help there, and and I'll be talking to my board about that. That's just happened in the last few days. Mm -hmm. So so we we try to bring resources and capacity to bear to assist government where government asks for such assistance because we believe it's in national interest to do so. Mm. Uh, so those are the sorts of stuff we do. Uh, our role is not to make the industry and our members feel comfortable. It's to push the envelope to consistently interact with them so that they do business in a way that uh, they understand the environment they're working in uh, mm. and in a way that contributes to the national interest. Um, I suppose suppose um, when you're talking transformation, you're talking transformation of the industry in terms of ownership, I understand, is one of the sort of goals that 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 has been set down by, by banks in terms of percentage of black ownership, but then also uh, the staff complement of, of banks and the finance industry. And I see, um, if I'm not mistaken, that while ownership seems to have dropped slightly and that you can perhaps talk a little bit about there's there is an increase in the in in sort of a number of young black bank managers and you know people now finally i suppose one would say you know after 25 years coming through the the systems um how do you kind of assess the transformation efforts of banks uh up until today. Yeah. Okay. So so ownership for us is not the major issue. I mean, banks have, uh, all major banks and some of the smaller banks have concluded ownership deals, uh, uh, and, and those deals have created substantial value for the black partners. Uh, the financial sector code is quite clear that if those Black partners then, uh, at a point in time, decide to divest those shares and 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 get uh, benefit from the capital gains of those shares. Banks That's banks it. don't need to redo deals and so on. So mm -hmm. I think ownership has been sort of sorted. There's a lot of rhetoric around ownership, but we believe that that the way we need to now address this is, is to have a more diversified banking sector. Mm. So have mutual banks and cooperative banks and so on uh, that, that would enable black ownership. Uh, we've done two major pieces of work just in the last few months. So one is to look at the progress and successes of transformation in the industry. And the other is to look at where the gaps are. Hmm. 
And, and, and I think if one looks at the progress and successes, I think there's been significant progress. Uh, you know, this is a sort of moving target, uh, and, and, and we need to continue to keep our shoulders to the wheel. Mm. But if you compare where we were 10, 15 years ago to where we are now, it's a significant difference. Mm. But we are looking at issues like the demographics of staff in the bank, uh, particularly at middle and upper management level. We are looking at issues like how banks procure and whether they enabling procurement from small medium enterprises, mm. whether uh, how they procure services, whether because banks traditionally had these panels of lawyers that they worked with, for instance, and very difficult to get onto those panels. And right. so, so we're beginning to look at all of that mm -hmm. and, and how banks begin to change those sorts of stuff because that's where the rubber hits the road. So our strategy document for transformation has identified all of those and, and we've developed a matrix that says within the first year from adoption of that document, in the following areas, we should have shifted this percentage of services mm. to, to black-owned black -owned companies in two years, in three years. So some of the IT and auditing stuff could be a bit further down the line, simply because there it's isn't that sort of supply. Yeah. So, so we're doing a lot of work around that, and, mm. and we're talking to banks at the moment to see how we get some reports in on an ongoing basis so that we can track that. Hmm. Um, you, uh, you issued a statement uh, in the wake of the Moody's uh, postponement of their uh, ratings, uh, what, however you, uh, you call it that, their sort of ratings report on, yeah. on South Africa yeah. at the end of March. And you did say um, that this now gave space for the government to... Um, to kind of breathe a little, and and but also to to take action where you where you think um, action is required in order to I forget the actual wording that you use, but sort of like just trying to get the economy I suppose going. If I could uh, be blunt, um, you mentioned the the public service. You mentioned sort of just economic policy in general as being lacking. Um, and then the state of the SOEs, and then simple things like the visa regime and freeing up spectrum. I mean, it, those are quite big. I mean, if you take each one of those by themselves, um, do you see, I, I'm sort of still lacking, I don't know, maybe it's because as you said, we are now talking on the, the 28th is it of, of May, we, we don't actually have a government, as you say. Um, do you do you get a sense that you know with this whole sort of feeling of rebirth uh, that the government is in a position to to act on any of these areas? Well, look, I think at the time we issued the statement uh, when Moody's uh, kept us at stable rating uh, and and the only rating agency that hadn't and still hasn't downgraded us to junk status. Uh, at the time we issued the statement, it was on the back of the Moody's decision. We're now at a situation where elections have happened. Uh, the president has more legitimacy from the point of view of an electoral mandate from the country. 
and and we do expect him to move fairly quickly on some of these issues. And so I think the critical issues, I think business in South Africa is looking for, and I think I, I would hazard to say that rating agencies and potential investors. One is the sort of cabinet the president appoints. We need a trimmed-down cabinet. Uh, I'm not suggesting a drastic cut, but certainly moves in that direction. We need people who are credible, who have no taint of corruption, even allegations of corruption against them. Uh, we need people who can actually do the job. Uh, and and so, so I think the appointment of cabinet, hopefully by toward the end of this week, will be the first marker, and, and, and we need absolutely good signs on that. I think that then uh, the president had appointed an advisory team to look at ESCOM, mm. and the team had suggested a restructuring of ESCOM. I think the president now needs to say we are doing this, and, and there needs to be uh, publicly a clear so time frame of roll out. That, right? yeah. roll out for that. I think uh, we need to take some tough decisions on other SOEs where we have sort of vanity projects. Those need to go. Uh, mm. We need to be very clear what sort of SOEs are strategically important, and, and the state needs to keep them, and others that need to be either hived off to the private sector or closed, to be quite honest. Mm. Uh, uh, because we just don't have the resources to waste on, on any of these things. Uh, and then I think we need a clear message on, on uh, at a macroeconomic level that says that we are a country that, that needs investment. Uh, we have a very so low savings rate, so, so we are dependent on investment from business here and outside, uh, and that we are going to create an environment for that investment so that gives people confidence that there will be protection of property rights, that... Uh, they can uh, repatriate the dividends if necessary, that there will be uh, a certainty of regulation. It's not, I don't think investors have too many problems with the policies we have. Um, but it's, it's, they need certainty that those policies will remain and we don't chop and change at, mm. at the drop of a hat. So we need that policy certainty. We need a regulatory environment that says we want investment and we we will do what is necessary to get that investment in. Uh, and then on, on things like the visa and broadband issues, I, I think that these are decisions that can be taken fairly quickly, mm. uh, and they'll make a significant difference, and they'll send a very positive uh, message out there, and it will actually increase confidence in the country. So, so I think that for the last... I mean, let's not talk about the Zuma years. We all know what happened there. But for the last year since the president was appointed in, in December 2017, uh, when Zuma left, it's been all about politics. And, and I guess understandably so in many ways. I think the president did a good job in beginning to address the corruption and uh, the uh, begin to rebuild institutions that were totally destroyed by Zuma. Uh, but now it's got to be about the economy. Uh, and, and he does have a challenge that uh, I think that the balance of forces in his own organization are still a problem. Uh, 
But I think he needs to rise above that. He needs to say, I've now got a mandate as president of this country. And these are the things we're going to do. Uh, so I think that's what I think business is waiting for and looking out for. Uh, that's what I think rating agencies will look out for. SNP just yesterday or on Friday kept our rating at stable, uh, saying that elections have just happened and they now expect certain things to happen. And so I think we've got a, a fairly narrow window in which these things need to happen. Mm. And uh, if we go the right way, I think that we will actually realize the opportunities this country has. If we don't go the right way and we're not robust enough, I think that we will have some serious problems. And so where do you see banks fitting all, uh, in, into all of this if we are wanting to grow the economy, alleviate poverty, I mean, was it Matt Tiabi, I think, in the Rolling Stone magazine many, many years ago, described Goldman Sachs as a vampire squid in the in the world, sort of just consuming everything in its path. Have banks, I mean, I was even reading about Grameen Bank in Bangladesh, you know, that sort of short-term yeah. loan kind of bank for, 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 for poor people. Yeah. Um, and, I mean... You can say what you want about that model and, you know, whether it was just another way of exploiting the poorest of the poor or not. But I don't see anything like that in this country. I don't see any sort of support for just the guy in Soweto. I've got friends trying to start up businesses and they just it, they are just kind of drowning yeah. without any support from government or the private sector. Yeah. Look, I mean, I know Muhammad Yunus, who started Grameen. And, and Grameen was a very good initiative. And it became one of the bigger banks in Bangladesh. Mm. It was, at that time, I think about seven, 8,000 clients. Okay. Now, it's a very different situation here. Mm. I, I, think, I think the, the, the challenge we have in South Africa is that we do have a first world banking infrastructure and a banking system. We, we are, until very recently, because of what happened during the Zuma years and so on, we were the second most safe banking sector in the world. Okay. Uh, we are recognized and internationally, we are a credible banking Industry. When you say safe, I mean the institutions were solid. Security was solid. Security is good. People's mm. money are safe, and so on, and mm. so on. And and if you looked at the World Economic uh, World Competitive Reports, we we pretty high up on things like access to finance and so on. Uh, what one of the challenges we have is that our Policy people through National Treasury and our regulators through the Reserve Bank have taken the view that we will be at the cutting edge of international best practice when it comes to banking regulation. So we were amongst the first four countries to apply Basel II at that time. Mm -hmm. We were amongst the first three countries to apply Basel III right up front. Now, that puts, despite the fact that we didn't have a financial crisis in this country in 2008-2009, mm. none of our banks went down, uh, our banks remained profitable and so on. 
but we are subject to those global regulations. Okay, and and those regulations uh, make it difficult to address some of the developing country challenges we have as far as access to financial services and so on goes. And that's our constant discussion with the regulators. But having said that, I don't know whether it still exists, but there was an institution called Small Enterprise Foundation that was active in northern province near Zanin and those areas. That was a replica of Grameen, and it was working. Okay. Uh, banks have, every bank has a community banking division now. Uh, and they're looking at different ways of actually addressing access to finance. So if you look at the Finmark Trust reports, uh, today probably about 78, 79% of bankable people have access to some sort of banking services. Hmm. Uh, uh, and that's gone up in the last 10 years from about 50%. Uh, we're doing some work at the moment to say, okay, we got all of these accounts, but are they being used, or is it just money in, money out? And those are broader socioeconomic issues. So if mm. you have 27% unemployment in a country, if you have so much poverty in the country, uh, uh, people aren't going to actually utilize the banking system to the extent that it should be utilized. Mm. So I think we need to begin to address those, and, and that's why we work with government on this stuff. So I think that we have a banking system that certainly in the last few years made significant strides in, in delivering services to those they weren't delivering to. I think that we have a bank, banking regulatory system that does enable. So we got a cooperative bank set, and we've had it for the last five years or so, but I think about six or seven cooperative banks have been registered and licensed. Uh, we need to ask why. Why not more? Hmm. Okay? Because those are institutions that are close to communities and so on, and if they're properly licensed and operated, then banks can actually have all sorts of relationships with them. And, right. can, can and they can get the benefits and of they that can relationship. Get so banks yeah. can wholesale fund them, and, and they could do the retail lending in the retail services because they understand those areas. Uh, we have mutual banks that, that are a good model despite VBS. Uh, the, the VBS thing wasn't a reflection on the structure of the bank. It was a reflection simply, you know, when people decide they want to do it, the they management, will, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that mm. what we need to do is we need to get these other institutions going so that there can be relationships between the formal banks and those institutions. And, and we can then utilize different mechanisms to deliver finan mm. financial services in a sustainable way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I suppose technology has played a massive role yeah. in that access, and it's about, about now building on that. I suppose Absolutely. you're talking specifically about mo mobile phones as yeah. being the sort of tool yeah. for, for, for banks to yeah. reach uh, customers. But yeah, as you say, maybe the people at the end need to see some more yeah. benefit of that technological uh, revolution. Sure. No. So, so there's a group called Hello Pesa. Uh, that's a technological group-based uh, operation uh, group of youngsters who had been speaking to me for a while, 
they've now gone into partnership with Sassfan Bank. Hmm. And they will be delivering financial services to informal traders, for instance. Okay. Uh, there's Time Bank. Uh, there's Discovery Bank. Hmm. Uh, both, I think, interesting and exciting developments that uh, I, I think will begin to make an impact. Uh, so, so I think that that new entrants into the market uh, are going to be more technological, te technology-based, yep. are going to actually look at uh, using different platforms for inclusion and access. Mm. And I think all of that will begin to make a difference. Mm. And Cass, I want to just go back a little bit now and just talk a little bit about yourself, if I may. Um, you, you're from, are you from Durban? No, born and bred Joburg. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, I've, I've read a little bit about your background. I'm, I'm not quite sure about your, your, your home. Where, whereabouts in Joburg did you grow up? I grew up in Becker Street in, in Ferrarstown, which is sort of uh, uh, just off Market Street, toward the lower end of Market Street, uh, towards, if you're moving towards Fortsburg. Okay. In that area. This was those days. And there are still people staying in the area. Uh, and then I moved to Fortsburg. To Fortsburg yeah. proper, right. Yeah. And your parents, what did they? What were they doing? My father was a bookkeeper. My mother was a housewife. Okay. Uh, uh, brothers, two brothers, doctors, one brother in business. Okay. Yeah. And what did you study? Become. Okay. Um, and then was it while you were at university? Was that at WITS that you studied? No, at something called the University College Durban. At that time... Okay, so there is a Durban in, connection. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't so quite at sure. At that, that time, you had to apply for a license to go to yeah. <laughs> so-called white universities, right? And some of us refused to do that. Yeah. The University College Durban was the only Indian university. It was on Salisbury Island, which was a military base. Geez, on the other side of the harbor there. Yeah, and we used to travel by ferry every day. Good uh, heavens. Yeah. So that's where I studied. And uh, where did you live when you were in Durban then as a student? In, uh, ta in town? In town. In Gray Street uh, kind in of? In town, yeah. Well, Lawn Street okay. and North Street in Gravel. Around Gravel, yeah. Boarded. I grew up on the other side of the race course from you then. Okay. <laughs> Funnily okay. enough. Okay. Um, sort of lower, lower yeah. barrier. Okay. Um, was that where you became sort of active then? Or yeah, did, you, did you come from a political family? Were your parents sort of you know, my, engaged? Not my parents, or was the community quite I, I think up in Fordsburg? The community certainly was. Uh, uh, my parents, you know, some of the, my forefathers, and it's interesting. I, I looked at the history because we uh, have a Kvadia Foundation now, uh, which okay. does some bursaries and so on. And when we launched this thing, I was asked to just talk about the history and so on. And and some of my f sort of forefathers in the family were involved with the Gandhi Satyagraha movement here at that time right. and so on. Did a lot of work in education and those sorts uh -huh. of things. So, but uh, direct political work, 
not too many of us in the family. Because, I mean, Kavadia is quite a... Yeah. It's, so a, it's quite a famous name, yeah, isn't so it? Yeah, so Jerry Kavadia in Durban, who was quite yeah, involved. that's and right. Ismail Kavadia, who was in exile, uh, was back quite involved. Yeah. My, myself and a few couple others. Mm. So, but the real political sort of activism started at university. So my my my... Contemporaries were Praveen Gordon, uh, Zach Yaqub, uh, mm. Seth Moodley. Right. Uh, so that was quite a sort of yeah. a congress kind yeah. of history, not a BC. Yeah. Well, there were BC as well. So Seth Cooper was there. Seth, yeah. Actually, was bumped there. into him the other day, funnily enough. And I mean, we had to contact with people like Steve Booker and so on. Yeah. So that was what, sort of mid 70s, late 70s? Uh, 69, 70, oh, wow. 71. Okay, no, you're yeah. older than us. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, wow, so that really is... Um, I finished there just before they moved to the Durban Westworld campus. Okay. They moved to the Durban Westworld campus in 72. Okay, yeah, you see, I was, I was uh, still quite time. young there at, at that time. Um, and then... So you... You qualified? Yeah, and then I was studying towards my CA. Was the idea to become an accountant? To become an accountant, but mm. then got involved in politics, uh, started working for the Transvaal Indian Congress, the United Democratic Front, right. all of that. And uh, sort of studies went by the wayside. Mm. Uh, I don't think I'd ever be able to go back to accountancy to be quite yeah, but I mean that was uh, also then you were kind of uh, part of that leadership that was at the forefront of of the sort of now resurgent struggle against uh, apartheid yeah. uh, with the launch of the UDF, and that yeah. that meant you came under scrutiny, right? And yeah. you were detained a number of times. Yeah, yeah. So I was obviously quite involved in the Transvaal Indian Congress here in the UDF. I was also very involved in in this sort of civic movement. So, so I was uh, general secretary of something called the Civic Association of Johannesburg, okay. which included Soweto, Alexandra, Zanesia, Annadale, mm. uh, Inner City, here and so on. I was a uh, uh, general uh, deputy chair of something called well, it still exists, although I wouldn't shout too much about it now, by the South African National Civic Organization. Uh, mm -hmm. And I found a member of that at that time. Okay. And so on. so we, we used to organize quite a lot on civic issues and so on towards essentially change of local government and stuff. Mm. So what, um, I mean, it, it must have been an incredibly tense and dangerous, I mean, it was life, thr you could die, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and many died, many did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you, how did you? What I mean, what what sort of drives you in that in that situation? Well, that time we we truly believed in 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 a democracy that would. I mean, we were absolutely clear: we're not free until the most oppressed are free, and that were black African people. Mm. Uh, uh, and and while Indian and colored people were also oppressed, the oppression was not as severe as on black African people. Mm. Uh, we truly believed in that. We truly believed that a, a, a democratic system would actually 
enable that. We truly believed in the overthrow of apartheid. Uh, so, you know, those were the things that brought us together and drove us. Mm. Uh, and, and it wasn't, not once did we sort of ask ourselves what's in it for us or mm. what sort of positions are we going to be having and stuff like that. So it was a time, it was a dangerous time, obviously. It was a pressurizing time, but it was a very fulfilling and humbling Invigorating, time. Yeah. yeah, I can yeah. imagine. Yeah. Um, I worked uh, for the National Peace Accord okay. uh, down in Port Chefston, yeah. 93, okay. 94. Okay. And, um, yeah, I mean, just the levels of violence, yeah. of course, yeah. quite extreme. But also that there was something quite mm. interesting going yeah. on in this country at that yeah. time. Absolutely. I mean, how do you reflect on those days and the sort of vision and hope and idealism of the sort of struggle to the, the politics of the present. I mean, no, okay, no regrets, but I mean, what do you kind of feel has yeah, well, look, you, you know, happened? You, you sort of move from disappointment to anger to cynicism to obviously extremely disappointed at where we are today. Uh, mm. But but one also has to point fingers at ourselves. You know, I mean, we maybe were naive, we were idealistic. Uh, uh, I remember Easter weekend of 1990, I think it was. We met at the University of Western Cape to take the decision to close the United Democratic Front because we always saw the UDF as an as a surrogate for the ANC. Right. And with the unbanning of the ANC, there was, it was 91, I think we met, with the right. unbanning of the ANC, we said there's no need for the UDF. Mm. And maybe in retrospect, you think that, that was might wrong. Mm. And, uh, uh, but we, we believed. We believed in, in the organization. We believed in the people leading it. And by and large, I think they were good people. Mm. Uh, but what we also did in the process is we sort of said that, well, a democratic government will now do a lot of the stuff that civic organizations did and so on. And we, we to a certain extent, destroyed civil society organizations, or we just allowed them to go. Yeah. Uh, so, so would we have at that time done things differently? I think we would have, mm. uh, had we known. Mm. Uh, but having said that, I mean... You know, if you look at the Mandela years, uh, Tabo years, uh, we were making good progress. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt that, you know, one of the things I saw while I was in Washington was what Trump has done to the Republican Party. Sure. And we were talking about, obviously, UK and what Brexit mm. has done to, yeah. to the Conservative Party yeah. in the UK. Mm. Uh, Similarly, I think the Zuma regime did that to the ANC here. Mm. It destroyed the organization. Sure. Uh, it kind of gives you pause for thought and makes you, I suppose, think about the fragility of institutions yeah. and of democracy yeah. as of the concept yeah. of, of, gov uh, of, of governing, how, how fragile it, yeah. it can be. And... You know, you're talking about civil society, and uh, I mean, I've been in discussions recently where, you know, people are saying, you know, within the NGO sort of space, you know, we need to really act 
almost like recreate a sort of activism yeah. or something that's yeah. that's perhaps not going to change you know in, in a revolutionary sense but just be the kind of van over the, what do you call that the watchdog or yeah. the, the sort of some kind of yeah no absolutely i mean i i think that's absolutely necessary i think that that uh, we 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 need instruments and vehicles through which just ordinary people can express their views and can actually put pressure on government mm. uh, put positive pressure on government outside of an election yeah, cycle as well or an electoral structure yeah. or whatever yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and 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 i mean if the last 10 years if it's taught us anything it's taught us that we need to be vigilant we need to be careful mm. and irrespective of who the leadership is uh, it shows that it can can slip very quickly and we need to ensure that we don't go back to that time i want to sort of change tack a little bit now and bring uh, climate change and and the sort of this whole discussion around sustainability I and mean, we have a I forget who it was now if it was a minister who said he's going to force banks to loan money to coal companies and things like yeah, that yeah i think it was a montage good montage yeah and uh, you just you know you talk about having an economic policy or a sort of policy environment that's going to allow the economy to grow and it seems that still there's quite a lot of old thinking about you know extractive industries and and not enough thought given to the potential for sustainability as a sort of industry in itself and also an acknowledgement of what the risks of any kind of shift away i mean it seems to be that if we want to save the planet we need to change almost completely the the way we live and work and i'm just not sure do you see any of that thinking sort of in the forums that you uh participate in locally because we we're, we're in a quite a dangerous place as a species yeah. on the planet yeah now look in the banking industry we're doing a phenomenal amount of work on that i mean i have somebody here concentrating on sustainable finance issues uh, mm. so so banks have signed on to the equator principles we're doing a lot of work on uh, uh localizing if you like some of the sustainable development goals so the national business initiative which is also a business organization business a sort of arm in sustainable development right and i chair that uh have done phenomenal work on 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 linking the SDGs to the NDP mm-hmm. so that we we actually begin to localize this and 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 begin to implement what we need to implement uh so uh we we're doing a lot of work on that uh, some of the banks have stopped financing coal mm. uh that's what i think led to the minister's comments right uh, uh our banks particularly the major banks are global institutions they are operating in different environments yeah. and and particularly in places like the US particularly in places <laughs> like Europe for sure uh, there's pressure on them to actually act sustainably right mm. so irrespective of what happens here 
the, the pressure on them then, so that it's important. It has to, to trickle them. down yeah. somehow. So, so we're doing a lot of work on that. I think as a country, uh, you know, from a policy point of view, we need to create more certainty on those things. Uh, mm. So, so we need to push for other forms of energy. We need to push for renewables. And and if you look at the first tranche of renewables, I mean, banks funded probably about. 84% of those. Mm. Uh, and, and so, and we're looking at green green mortgages now, and so there's a whole lot of stuff happening. I think mm. we're taking it very seriously. Um, what we are also trying to do is to try and bring them so that we're not subject to too many codes and too many stuff coming out of the union and so on to see if we can bring in about some sort of coordination on all of that. Yeah, um, but uh, taking it very seriously. Um, another thing that's been discussed a lot recently is the nationalization of the Reserve Bank yeah. or the creation of a state-owned bank. I mean, yeah. is that one and the same thing? Or are we talking no. about two different things then? How would, how you know, how do you see two, those? Two different things. Look, the Reserve Bank issue is quite honestly a red herring, um, uh-huh. and I'm hoping that now that is action, though, it will go away. Uh, the the critical issue is the independence of the Reserve Bank, and that's protected by the Constitution. Okay? The ownership of the Reserve Bank doesn't matter uh, because the shareholders of the Reserve Bank have absolutely no say on monetary policy, policy. on who appoints the governors and the deputy governors, on, on, on the role of the Reserve Bank or anything of that sort. Uh, uh, also, there's a limit to the amount of shares you can buy, and there's a limit to the amount of dividends you can get. So it's mm. not like a normally traded share. Uh, so, quite honestly, it doesn't matter who owns the shares. Uh, uh, so, so I, we certainly believe it's a red herring. Mm. Uh, to us, the importance is the independence of the bank, and if anybody if any political party pushes for change in the constitution related to that, then we'll make big noises about it. But uh, at this point in time, I think it's a red herring. The issue about state bank, you know, we've said we have no problem with the state bank provided it's regulated appropriately. Mm. Uh, we have asked questions, what's the state bank going to do differently? Mm. All right, because at the end of the day... Yeah, that would have been my question. Yeah. What would be the sort of outstanding benefit? Yeah, so, a, so at the end of the day, when, when you work f- through all the complexities, a bank is about borrowing money from depositors and from the market and lending that, okay, gearing it and lending it. Assessing risk and... Assessing risk, and suddenly you've got to lend it in a way that you get the money back, okay, because... <laughs> you know, I walk into my bank and I want all my deposits. The bank can't tell me, sorry, we lent the money and we didn't get it back, right? They've got to keep, give me my deposit. And the mm. banks are heavily regulated because they are custodians for the country's money, essentially. Now, if a state bank uh, is going to lend money in a way that does not consider risk and not too concerned about whether it gets it back or not, then it will constantly have to be bailed out by the fiscus, right? Mm. And you can't do that. We don't. Firstly, we don't have the money, and secondly, it's just not good practice. Uh, so, so we've always been of the view that 
if there's a good interaction between government programs and the commercial banking sector, and government understand that the commercial banking sector needs to be profitable and sustainable, uh, and, and where markets are not working, that government programs work with the commercial banking sector, get those markets to work, and then leave the commercial banking sector to do its work in those markets. So, so we believe that you could, for instance, say if one of the critical problems in SME development is that we just don't have a lot of these SMEs need non-financial support. Mm. And we have a government agency called the Small Enterprise Development Agency that's supposed to do that, but it doesn't do its job. Business plans and Business technical plans support, and and not, technical not just support money. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if it, if it works with mm. those institutions to put a good business plan on the table, banks will fund it. Right. right? Uh, and you say that's not happening. That's not happening. So, mm. so it's those sorts of things. But having said that, in the post office will get a license sometime mm. in the next year or so. Mm. And that's fine. Uh, you know, if it plays that role, if it gets to markets that we're not getting to, but does so in a sustainable way, that's fine. Mm. Uh, so we're not, as a matter of principle, saying we are against the state-owned bank. We just, we're not too sure what it's going to do differently. Mm. And what we are insisting is that it be appropriately regulated so that it does not bring risk into the system. Yeah, we mentioned VBS and we're talking regulate, regulation, and I suppose that is always going to be, I mean, the other thing I wanted to maybe touch on is the role of accounting firms have played in yeah. some of these, uh, if I can say, alleged nefarious activities yeah. at state-owned uh, enterprises. I mean, it, it, it kind of, you say we have a robust regulatory environment, and yet you know, there's a lot of money is gone somewhere. Yeah. And there's there's some weaknesses there then, obviously, or... Yeah, look, I mean, let's talk VBS and, and the role of the regulators and so on. Uh, you know, the regulators, I think, conducted themselves well. They picked up issues related to municipal deposits and so on. They pointed it out. They warned them that they should stop. Uh, and then when they found that they haven't stopped, they went into and looked at it carefully. And that's when they started picking up these things. Now, you know, if here this was a group of people, seven or eight people, hmm. who essentially infiltrated this bank because it's a mutual bank, so... so you could depositors own the shares in the bank, essentially. Right. So they. So the more you deposit, the, the more you stronger deposit, you become. The more they brought in the municipal monies and so on, they control this bank with the sole intent of looting. Now, you can have the best regulations in place when you have dishonest people who set out to actually loot in crucial positions, positions of control, they're going to do it unfortunately, and then you're going to have to deal with it after the fact. Mm. Uh, do we need tighter regulation on things? I don't think so. Uh, but do we need, uh, so, do, you know, so, so the Reserve Bank 
will depend on audited financial statements. Uh, so the audited financial statement in the VBS's case, a senior audit partner, was part of the stuff, right? So hmm. we, I mean, to me, at the end of the day, with all of this, uh, VBS, Busasa, all of this. Steinhoff. Steinhoff. Uh, we, as, it's something that we need to address as a country. We've lost our, we've lost our moral compass as a mm. country, across the board. Sure. You know, we've lost our values, we've lost our principles, we've, and it's not just government, it's not just business, you have same problems in the union movement, uh, where there's misappropriation of funds. You just have, it's just the way we behave towards things. Uh, you know, we don't care about regulations. We, mm. uh, you know, it's, it's the small stuff. Stopping at a red traffic light. Stopping at a red traffic light. <laughs> uh, those sorts of things. You know, I. I oh, jeez, You know, I have a friend uh, who was with me at university. He emigrated a long time ago, uh, and he's now in Washington. He's retired. I saw him this trip as well, but a previous trip uh, came to pick me up to take me to the airport on my way back and said, let's have lunch before that. And parked at a robot and he told me, look, there's a restaurant, just wait for me, I'm going to put some money into the meter. And I see him and another guy at the meter and then I see him on his phone and he comes back and he says, listen, just hang on here, I just want to find the nearest parking garage, I want to park the car. So I said, what's wrong with me? He said, no, the meter isn't working. So I said, well, in your book, we'll say not our problem. He said, but that would be breaking the law. You don't do that, you know? And it's as simple yeah, as that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's where it starts, you know? Uh, so, and yeah. we've just lost all of them. How do you even start to recover from... Nice. Because, I mean, we do come from such a bastardized history. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, I speak a lot about national identity or like what that even would mean or yeah. if, if it's even possible. Yeah. But uh, is something like, I mean... Look, I, I, I think first... It or is it just individual responsibility will build national identity? Yeah, it comes from the bottom and the top. I think from the top, we need, we need leadership, political leadership, business leadership that actually shows that, no, this is not good enough. Some some things will just not be yeah, tolerated. Not be tolerated, and then from the bottom, I think we need to. It's what we are saying. We need to rebuild or get involved in local organizations. Sort of civic so community levels. Know, community policing forums, ratepayers associations, mm. those sorts of things. You know, and get involved at that level uh, and start rebuilding. Uh, mm. But the problem, the other problem, is that. And I'm not too sure that's where the youth are. Mm. You know, the one of the things was technology and social media and so on, and, and, and just the pace at which things move today. Young people might be more interested in the sustainability stuff and so on, but, you know, to them, what's governance nowadays? You know, I mean, they, you know, young person works on through technology, that's how they do their work. They mm. want instant that's gratification, they, they want services now, they want convenience, they it's a different world and 
And so it's it's tough, but I think that we've all got to put our shoulders to the wheel. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, we keep on talking Ubuntu in this country. Well, there's no Ubuntu in this country. Mm-hmm. And then we've got to start rebuilding it. And just the way we behave towards our public discourse has become violent. Uh, you know, I always say, people tell me, yeah, you see the Zimbabweans, they're hijacking the cars. Right? And I said, well, even if I agreed with that, not that I do, I'm sure there are some Zimbabweans who are hijacking cars. But you go to Harare, even these times, you walk right. there, no tension. Hmm. Suddenly a Zimbabwean comes here and he becomes violent. There's something wrong with our psyche. You know, you walk in the streets of Luanda, uh, you don't feel the sort of tension. You mm. don't feel anybody that somebody is going to harass you. No, or, true. You know, and then they come here and they become violent. So there's something wrong with our psyche. Mm. Uh, and we need to get to the bottom of it. I don't know. I'm too old for this. <laughs> <laughs> Cass, let's end it there. Thanks okay. very much for your time Great. this morning. Thank you. And, uh, Appreciate it. Thank you. I hope it was a good conversation. There was a lot of ground to cover there. Um, it's always tricky, you know. I try and give myself just around an hour, and he also is quite busy as well. So I was, I was fortunate to have the time with him. I perhaps could have pressed him a little bit more on transformation, particularly... Uh, getting more women, people of color into sort of senior positions. But it seems that that is changing. And he he sort of indicated that there were certain KPIs for banks to to uh, to reach uh, in certain time frames. So I suppose uh, we'll just have monitor that. I thought it was interesting as well, his comments on the banks and uh, sort of promoting alternative sources of energy amongst other things so there's you know I suppose there's some shift going on there in thinking um, we shall see I think he spoke from the heart and his own experience when he called for a renewal of community-based activism you know it's quite poignant talking about how the disbandment of the UADF perhaps in hindsight wasn't such a great idea but that we need a sort of more community engagement, not only at election time, to uh, protect our um, fragile society and the fragile democratic project uh, that we are living in um, at the moment. Uh, just a note on the audio. I'm sorry, it was he was speaking quite softly. I didn't really uh, gauge that uh, as I should have, so I apologize for that. Voices from SA is hosted on Audio Boom. You can also subscribe to Voices from SA via Apple Podcasts, where you can leave a comment or rating, via Spotify, Radio Public, Deezer, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your colleagues, tell your friends, tell the world. Until next time, I'm Nicholas Claude. Cheers. <laughs>